Welcome to the latest episode of the Daniel Energy Partners In-Basin Observations Podcast, coming to you from our Thrive Energy Conference in Houston, Texas. Today, we have a special fireside chat with Rich Cushel, head of Portfolio Management Group at BlackRock. As most of you know, BlackRock is one of the world's largest investment management companies and the largest investor in the energy sector. Rich has been with BlackRock for over 32 years and currently leads a team of almost 2,000 investment professionals across fixed income, equities, and multi-asset businesses. In his career, he has held various leadership roles in BlackRock's investment businesses, as well as its international and client business functions. In this episode, our hosts Sean Mitchell and Bill Herbert will sit down with Rich to discuss his views on the energy industry, BlackRock's relationship with the industry, the current investment landscape, and his experience leading BlackRock's portfolio management group. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this insightful conversation with one of the industry's leading experts. And before we get started, as we are approaching opening day here in Houston, it's worth noting that Rich is a huge Yankees fan, so him speaking at Minute Maid Park, the home of the Houston Astros, is a special treat. My co-moderator of this fireside chat is Bill Herbert. Bill recently joined the Daniel Energy Partners team. We're super excited to have him on board. But more importantly, I'm super excited to have BlackRock, uh, Rich Kushel uh, from BlackRock here. We're going to do a little fireside chat. Um, Rich is the head of portfolio management group at BlackRock, which encompasses almost 2,000 investment professionals within BlackRock's fixed income, equities, and multi-asset businesses across both fundamental and quantitative investing styles. He, he's had a number of roles at BlackRock uh, investment businesses over the last decade, and before that, he spent time in BlackRock's international businesses and client business functions, among a handful of other leadership roles. He has been with BlackRock for over 32 years, New Yorker at heart, huge Yankees fan, so we want to welcome, give him a big welcome to the Houston Astros Stadium where we have the World Series champion Houston Astros. So, Rich, we're glad to have All you here. Right. No, uh, it's a little surreal to know that I'll be on the jumbotron a bit. Uh, there you go. We got to get pictures. Somebody out there get the pictures of Rich on the jumbotron, please. Okay, uh, Rich, thanks for coming. We really appreciate you being here. Um, so let's just start. Really, kind of, what is your relationship? What is BlackRock's relationship with the industry, and what kind of capital have you allocated to the industry, and how do you see that evolving over the next couple of years? All right. Well, listen. Uh, thanks for having me. Look, I think if we're going to talk about our relationship with the industry, you have to talk about what we do. Uh, and uh, that's really important, right? We're an investment manager. Yep. We started this company 35 years ago, eight people, zero dollars. Today we have about 20,000 people, $8.6 trillion that we manage, right? None of that money is our own. It's other people's money. We manage it to produce the best returns we can uh, for them. So we're not a bank, we're not an investment bank, right. we're an investment manager. With respect to the energy industry, uh, we are, we're the largest player. We've got $330 billion committed to the, uh, to the global energy sector. Uh, you know, if you think about that, uh, it's about 90-10 between what I call traditional energy and then uh, new energy renewables. Uh, and if you think about it, it's also about $260 billion in equity and about $70 billion in debt that we own. So we're the biggest player out there. 
Uh, we need this industry to succeed if we're going to produce the returns for our clients. You know, in terms of you know our view uh, and how that filters in, I think there was a, a, a pretty interesting piece that came out just recently that said, you know, this industry needs four to seven trillion dollars of investment per year through 2050. Right? Compare that to about two and a half, a little bit less than that last year. So it's going to be taking a bigger and bigger piece of the investment pie, and I think that's true. Uh, that's true at BlackRock. Got it. And then just it, it, when you talk about your investment view, is it, is that outlook that you're talking about really in the traditional energy sector as you think about the investment view, or is that is that both combined uh, traditional energy and kind of the renewables? No, it's well? combined. Okay, it, 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 it's it's definitely combined. I think if you look, we've we've long had a constructive view on the. Uh, on the traditional space, uh, and uh, you know, thank you to a lot of people in this room. We've invested alongside a lot of the benchmark beating yep. uh, equities, uh, particularly post uh, post COVID. Uh, if you look at our portfolio, we have a bit of a barbell approach today. Uh, we have a barbell between the the high income opportunities, if you will, the majors, uh, midstream, uh, and then the high price leverage type opportunities in E and P and, and, and services. Got it. Bill? Yeah, so um, um, I guess some of this is sort of perception versus reality, but uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, BlackRock has, has, uh, has been, you know, a visible advocate of ESG uh, and uh, the energy transition and lowering the carbon footprint, for, all for very good reasons. And, and, and yet, you've got you're, you are the largest owner of energy stocks uh, in the world. Ninety ten conventional versus renewables. Is that correct? Give or take. Yeah. yeah so I was just going to ask you, uh, and I, I, I didn't know that. Uh, but I'm. But but you know, since uh, internally at BlackRock, amongst PNs, people allocating capital to invest in this space. How has sort of the BlackRock view of kind of conventional energy and just the energy ecosystem as a whole evolved from the kind of recent period of, of kind of energy aspiration versus the period that we're in now with regard to energy realism and the need for sustained reinvestment in oil and gas? Yeah, look, I, I think if you think back, uh, I would point to two major uh, major points in, in the last year that I think informs that view, both in the, in, in the traditional space and in the renewable space. The first is obviously Russia's invasion of Ukraine, right? For so sure. we're, we're a year into that. Yep. Um, I think it certainly highlighted the, you know, the fragility of the European system that was based on a single source of, of Russian pipeline gas. Um, and the war is forcing that continent to really find alternatives, right? right. Uh, U.S. LNG uh, or LNG imports uh, yes. are critical in, in that regard. Uh, you've seen accelerated renewable investments. Uh, you've also seen, frankly, the reemergence of nuclear, uh, which uh, is something I think a lot of people didn't think was going to happen in the continent. But I think the key takeaway for both Europe and North America you know, from this period is the, the importance of scaling your domestic production you know, alongside, you know, building resiliency with kind of, frankly, reliable partners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you see that reflected in our portfolios. And, you know, you've seen that 
with what's happened in the US, right? We've gone from a major net importer to kind of a world leading producer uh, and now a, a rapidly growing exporter. So, you know, but I, I think in parallel, you also have to take a look at what's happened, uh, uh, what's happened in the renewable space and the incredible growth that you've seen there. Um, and all that is, is really helping to, to drive down emissions, which is what people are looking for. The, the other really important point that I would point to, and I think people underestimate this, is the emergence of the Inflation Reduction Act. Yep. Right. And call it what you want, um, but it's, a, uh, it, it's unlocked a lot of capital yes. uh, for new projects, especially those dealing with decarbonization. Yep. Uh, and I think it creates uh, some very significant investment opportunities. It's also creating a lot of jobs. And so, you know, I, I think if you put those things together in context, it's obviously been a really strong year uh, for public oil and gas companies. Uh, they played an important role in the portfolio. You know, up, when I last looked uh, a, a couple of days ago, up 160% since uh, the end of 2020, compare that to what at the time was 12% for the S&P, yep. uh, it's a pretty significant differential. So, you know, among our clients, what I can tell you is that the conventional energy you know, resonates really well with the value investors and the income-seeking investors. Uh, and the renewables is, is for, you know, people taking, no doubt, uh, a more speculative play. Well, so let's talk about uh, kind of conventional energy versus clean tech ecosystems and, and sort of green energy in general uh, on a couple of different fronts. I mean, with regard to, we've gone, in terms of, so the conventional energy, we've gone from marginalized and stigmatized and now being viewed as critical, or, or at least more critical. Uh, clean tech and renewables, we've gone from overhyped to more realistic, but, but still necessary. Uh, doesn't generate a whole lot of free cash flow and profitability for the most part, but has tremendous duration prospects and enormous market size. Yep. Uh, we've got a lot of free cash flow generation with regard to conventional energy but it feels like the market still is unwilling to capitalize and embrace a duration theme given the free cash flow yields these stocks are trading for and the energy weighting in the S&P 500. So what are your thoughts on all those fronts with regard to where we go from here and what the evolution is likely to be over a multi-year period? Yeah, like I, 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 I think it's a great question and great points. I think the common theme across both, right, is more security, less emissions, Yeah. right? right. And so do that. But if you look among our active investors, uh, you know, so people who are making active portfolio management decisions, not index investing, but you know, right. people who are trying to outperform the market, I would tell you that the common view is that the duration uh, of oil and gas yep. is dramatically underestimated. Yep. Uh, that it's gonna play uh, out longer. And I think that's particularly true uh, uh, for gas uh, and for natural gas. So for yep. oil, it can be very correlated with you know, rising living standards around yep. the world. Uh, I think you're gonna continue to see that increase you know, you know, living standards yep. for a decade. Um, that provides a pretty good tailwind. Natural gas is, is arguably uh, a, a little more interesting, and I think we're even more constructive there. Yep. Critical for the long-term phase out of coal. For sure. Uh, and that's uh, a theme that you see. Uh, it's also complementary as a backup 
for uh, for renewables in electrifying world. Yep. And so I think you know that's a tremendous place where you have an alignment uh, between this industry and the long-term goals uh, for emissions. Yep. You know, it, on the other hand, I would argue that we're at least as excited uh, about the opportunity in renewables. Yeah. And uh, you know, and you can put that whether you think that's clean energy technology, you think of that. Uh, as decarbonation, uh, decarbonization uh, opportunities or renewables, you know, you look at the growth of renewables, wind and solar, right? yep. about 15% a year for the better part of the last decade, compare that to the overall energy growth of about 1%. No question. I don't think there's a, a, a question that that's going to, uh, to be growing. No question, it's faced some growing pains. Yep. Uh, and I think that, but, but we think it'll continue to grow. Uh, and we can talk about what we think some of those growing pains are going to be, uh, but it's going to continue to benefit from the government support that you have in places like the IRA or the European equivalents, uh, and it's going to be a bigger part of the supply going forward. You know, I think uh, decarbonization technologies, and whether you're talking about blue hydrogen, blue ammonia, uh, whether you're talking about uh, advanced biofuels, renewable natural gas, yeah, they're all going to play an important role. And yeah. I think there are going to be opportunities there. It's a higher risk strategy. There's right. no doubt about that. But when you want to play for the long duration, uh, I would include those. So I think they all have a, um, you know, those technologies are all getting a boost from higher carbon credits, yep. uh, which is important. Um, ultimately, they're going to have to prove to be viable uh, on their own uh, and through time. And I think that's the, the investment opportunity. So there's more realism with regard to the near-term sort of profitability prospects of renewable, but still with regard to runway and ceiling, market size, still super compelling. With regard to energy, people probably underappreciated the duration and runway. Now they're more appreciative and still probably a little bit guarded in, as sort of reflective of the weighting in like the S&P 500 but people are slowly but surely recognizing the imperative uh, of this industry in terms of its value proposition. Yeah, I, I also think people are probably underestimating the importance of this industry, you know, particularly here in the Gulf Coast, yep. uh, in participating in that decarbonization. So like here, you know, Texas, Louisiana, you've got a tremendous concentration of industrial emissions and you have the infrastructure uh, in place to be able to deal with carbon and to do something with it. Yeah. And I think that's gonna be uh, an important part of that story going forward. And then what kind of, Rich, maybe just digging into kind of the opportunities and threats for both traditional energy versus the uh, kind of newer entrants or fo guys focusing on developing new technologies, maybe if you can just spend some time and hit, hit what you think might be the opportunities and threats. Okay. Uh, there's a lot out there. Uh, let's start in the conventional space. Yep. I think, you know, biggest opportunity, structural coal to gas conversion uh, yep. and, and substitution. You know, gas generates power with half the emissions. Yep. Um, I, I think that's a, uh, it, it's probably the biggest opportunity that aligns the industry with kind of the long-term decarbonization goals yep. globally. Um, you know, from a, uh, uh, another opportunity is clearly, we touched on it before, uh, but the loss of Russian exports. Yep. Uh, significant opportunity for U.S. producers to step up. I think, you know, over the past decade, you've seen uh, the U.S. producers step up uh, and replace uh, supplies that have been affected by various conflicts around the world. Uh, that's going to be, uh, that's gonna be uh, a problem. 
uh, within the conventional space, I will tell you the, the biggest threat uh, is uh, to long-term gasoline demand. You know, uh, electric vehicles are, are becoming a bigger part of the parking lot. Uh, I even saw a few parked outside today. Um, that was I don't bold. drive that was one bold, That was bold, by the way. Yeah. Um, at Daniel Energy but, Partners, you get fired if you drive one, so <laughs> we, don't, we don't drive. Look, uh, look I, I would argue to you that we, we think that the current consensus product, uh, uh, projections for EV adoption are probably a little aggressive. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that. that's being affected by inflation pressures, that's being affected by resource constraints. For sure. Uh, but over the long term, uh, I think the, the, the threat to gasoline demand is real. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, pleased to see a lot of uh, the companies that we invest in and the refiners that we work with, you know, looking for other uses of gasoline or naphtha molecules and what they can do in distillates and, and other things. Uh, but that's certainly a, uh, uh, a, a real threat in the sector. Yep, I agree. You know, I'd say the last threat in the, uh, and, and perhaps the, the biggest in the conventional space uh, is, uh, is resource depletion. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, that drives break-even prices higher and higher, which is going to have the impact on demand and, frankly, the acceleration of the renewables. Yep. Yeah. And so I know, you know, believe me, I know there's probably a lot of mixed views on this in this room, uh, but it's pretty apparent that the, uh, that, that the, the, the breakneck improvements in speed that we saw uh, in shell production, you know, have really flattened out. Totally um, and yeah. that's going to be a, uh, a real, in, uh, real important part. And the industry needs to do things to drive that efficiency. Absolutely. Uh, and we understand that requires investment. Uh, but that's going to be really important. You know, if, if you want to switch to the, um, uh, the, the, the renewables, the, the newer technologies, uh, the biggest opportunities there, yep. uh, you have tremendous policy support. No question. Uh, both in the U.S. and Europe. And as I said, over time, I think these things need to stand alone. Uh, but the production tax credit was extended yep. in the IRA through the yep. end of 2024. Um, you've seen uh, technological improvements, yep. you know, bigger wind blades, uh, better PV conversions uh, in solar. Uh, by the way, I think it's worth mentioning as we sit here today in Texas, uh, Texas is, you know, the biggest player in wind in the country, and, yeah. and, and I think the second biggest in, in solar, solar. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. But there's no question that the IRA has uh, has opened the door uh, to many of the low carbon technologies, sure. uh, and that presents a, a real opportunity. You look, the fort. We were just in a meeting this morning talking about uh, the the ramping up of the 45Q credits yeah. from fifty dollars to eighty five. You know that has a, uh, a a real impact, and I think a real uh, a real tailwind to uh, to what people are doing. Yep. Um, the biggest threat to those transition technologies, I touched on it before. I think it's um, it, it's the higher inflation interest rate environment that we have. Yep. Uh, that we've seen, and so uh, you know the proven technologies, solar uh, and uh, and wind, have had cost deflation for a long time. Yep. Uh, now we're seeing inflation. Uh, there, uh, the financing pressure is going to be a lot more pronounced, even for some of the very, very large carbon capture yep. uh, things. And I, I would argue to you, those that's the biggest, uh, the biggest threat there. Got it. So this is probably a good lead into kind of just your view, BlackRock's view on just the energy and transition at large. Kind of how are you thinking about energy transition? Look, um, 
you know, our view is that an orderly and well-managed transition mm -hmm. uh, is good for the world, yep. uh, and it's good for economic growth, and it's good for our clients as investors. Uh, yep. And so I think that's really important. What is perhaps underappreciated and underemphasized is the role that the traditional industry has to play in that transition. Yep. Right, and we're going back to the comments before about the duration yep. of the uh, of the opportunity. Um, we know that markets need to decarbonize using traditional sources like gas. Yep. Uh, we know uh, that you know reliability and security are absolutely critical, and there's nothing that's more reliable and secure, you know, and, and secure uh, than domestically produced oil and gas. Yep. And so I think that's. Uh, that's really, really important. I would tell you that, um, you know, with the IRA, there is a lot of investment uh, in renewables. Yep. Some of it will be well spent. Yep. Some of it will be poorly spent. Yeah. Right. Um, at the end of the day, and by the way, you, you, people I think still underestimate how important this is. You saw the response from Europe who was kind of up in arms that, you know, all the investment and all Trade the project, water. yeah, it was going to be happening here in the U.S. <laughs> and so, um, look, I think at the end of the day, you're going to need a mix of traditional and, you know, new, uh, new technologies. Amen. Um, and you're going to need a lot of capital across both of them to effectuate this transition. 100% agree. Um, which we believe is happening. Yeah, yeah no, for, for sure. We agree with that now. I'm glad you're not getting your speaker bat now because you might hit me with it in the next question. Uh, but here, here it goes. There's been a ton of discussion uh, about BlackRock in Texas that you boycott oil and gas companies and you use your clients' money to push around a social agenda. I assume you disagree, but kind of how did we get here? Yeah, look, um, I think, like I've, I've, been, I've been at BlackRock for 32 years. Uh, been in the industry for 35 years. I never really expected that investing would become as politicized as, as it's been. Yep. Um, and, you know, truth be told, I'm going to spend tomorrow up in Austin uh, meeting with a lot of policymakers. That's not what I thought. If you had asked me 15 right. years ago, what is Rich Cashel going to be doing at right. this point in his career? Uh, that's not what I thought I'd be doing. Um, but look, I think it's really important uh, to, for people to understand who we are, what we do. I appreciate you all giving us a hearing uh, on that point. What do we do with Texas? Um, well, first, start with the majority of assets that we manage around the world yep. are for someone's retirement, right? The, the significant majority. So here in Texas, we run $190 billion for Texas clients. 140 of that's for institutional, about 50 billion of that is for individual investors, right? We run 20 billion for the big state and local pension funds. Very pleased uh, that we've done a really good job for them over the years. Um, but one thing that's really important in all of our investment activities, right, our objective is to produce the best returns. It's the client's money, right? We believe in giving clients choice. They can choose whatever objectives and constraints they want within that. Uh, it's our objective to produce the, the highest return. And I will say this, I've got about 2,000 people who work for me whose job is to produce the returns at BlackRock. None of them get paid based upon the temperature of the earth, yeah. right? We get paid based upon a pretty simple thing, and that is, you know, what are the returns that we generate for our clients? 
you know, on the other side, uh, I think, and this is really important here in Texas, we are a major investor in Texas, yep. right? We're a major investor in municipal bonds in Texas. We fund schools, we fund hospitals, we fund roads uh, that everyone use. Uh, yep. And we are absolutely committed to that. We also have $135 billion invested in, in Texas-based energy companies. Yep. So take the 10 largest uh, Texas-based energy companies. We're the number one or number two largest single client in eight out of the t uh, investor, shareholder, in eight out of the 10. And on the other two, we're third and fourth. Uh, wow. And so um, we are very committed to it. We're very committed to, to you know, our private investments here. And I think that's something that probably goes underappreciated. Uh, and uh, you know, we have $280 million invested in Centric, right? The, uh, the, the uh, owner operator of the natural gas utility here, uh, we, uh, we're very proud, and I'm going to be going down and meeting with them in San Antonio, but very proud to invest alongside Valero uh, in uh, Navigator Energy, $750 million in a carbon capture pipeline uh, uh, system. We've got $40 million invested in, uh, uh, in Whitewater uh, in the pipeline here that we funded, uh, you know, $55 million in Triple Crown. We're a major player, and we've got a lot of vested interest in seeing this grow. So, look, uh, a lot's been said about what we do and right. what we do with Texas. We believe in giving clients choice. And yes, some of our clients choose not to have certain sectors. Some of our clients don't want to have alcohol in their portfolio. Some of our clients don't want to have, uh, don't want to have tobacco in their portfolio. Right. Some of our clients in parts of the world don't want to have various fossil fuels in their portfolio. But, you know, if you, it's their money, that's their choice. Within the, the, right. that mandate, we're going to produce the best returns that we can. Got it. So we're running out of time, but I just want to hit one more. Kind of, what about proxy voting? Does BlackRock have too much influence in proxy voting, in your opinion? Or kind of, how do you think about the world? Uh, I thought these questions were going to get easier, not harder. Thank you. <laughs> Look, uh, yeah, we're, we're the world's largest investor. Uh, so we, uh, I think stewardship, our proxy voting, is an important part of the value creation process. We're a responsible owner. What I can tell you is our proxy voting is not about Rich Cashel's or Larry Fink's normative view of the world on what we want. Right. We've got 70 people uh, who are investors. They are all trained investors, and they vote based on what they think is going to produce the best return for our clients. You know, um, that's never changed. Uh, and where you see when we don't vote with management, that correlates really, really highly with some measure of underperformance. Yeah. And hopefully it changes through time. What I can say, because I do think it's important, is we recognize uh, you know, the focus on it. And so we pioneered what we call voting choice. Uh, and that is, hey, uh, Mr. Client, Mrs. Client, uh, if you want to vote your shares the way you want to, you can do it. Yeah. We'll manage your money. You vote it. And so we have about $2 trillion of index money that's available for voting choice. Uh, about $500 billion has actually taken us up on it. Uh, every state pension fund in the country can take advantage of it. Uh, and I think that's a way to allow uh, the owners of the capital to ensure that they're voting uh, the way that aligns with their views. We're going to vote with the way that we think produces the best return. 
but if people want to take a, a either A, don't want to believe us on that, right. and I acknowledge there's some who, are, no matter what I say, aren't going to believe us, uh, or want to make certain that they're voting aligned with their views, they can do that. Right. Well, we can't thank you enough. Uh, any final thoughts as we kind of leave here today, Rich? Uh, well, look, I, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, as I said, uh, our success, we, we built this company, as I said, from zero dollars to, to $8.6 trillion over the last 35 years. We've only done that by serving our clients well. Uh, and uh, our success in doing that is predicated on, uh, has a big bet on the energy sector here. So I you know, appreciate the opportunity to speak to you all, appreciate all the work that you're doing on behalf of our clients uh, and our portfolios. And I, uh, uh, I really uh, uh, hope that this will continue for a long time. Thank you again for coming. Thank you again for the Fireside Chat. Thank you for your contribution and sponsoring this event. Well, really a great pleasure. It. Thank you. Thanks, Good guys. to see you, Thanks, man. Bro. That was fun. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Awesome. You did great. Thank you.